Section 5 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 9, European Statesmen, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Edmund Burke, Part 2. No man more than Burke admitted the necessity of even radical reforms, but he would have accomplished them without bloodshed and cruelty. He would not have removed undeniable evils by introducing still greater ones. He regarded the remedies proposed by the revolutionary quacks as worse than the disease which they professed to cure. No man knew better than he the corruptions of the Catholic Church in France, and the persecuting intolerance which that Church had stimulated there ever since the revocation of the Edict of Nantes, an intolerance so cruel that to be married unless in accordance with Catholic usage was to live in concubinage, and to be suspected of Calvinism was punishable by imprisonment or the galleys. But because the established church was corrupt and intolerant, he did not see the necessity for the entire and wholesale confiscation of its lands and possessions, which had not been given originally by the nation, but were the bequests of individuals, thereby giving a vital wound to the rights of property which civilization in all countries has held sacred and inviolable. Burke knew that the Bourbon absolute monarchy was oppressive and tyrannical, extravagant and indifferent to the welfare of the people but he would not get rid of it by cutting off the head of the king especially when louis was willing to make great concessions he would have limited his power or driven him into exile as the english punished james the second he knew that the nobles abused their privileges he would have taken them away rather than attempt to annul their order and decimate them by horrid butcheries he did not deny the necessity of reforms so searching that they would be almost tantamount to revolution but he would not violate both constitutional forms and usages and every principle of justice and humanity in order to effect them to burke's mind the measures of the revolutionists were all mixed up with impieties sophistries absurdities and blasphemies to say nothing of cruelties and murders what good could grow out of such an evil tree could men who ignored all duties be the expounders of rights what structure could last when its foundation was laid on the sands of hypocrisy, injustice, ignorance, and inexperience? What sympathy could such a man as Burke have for atheistic theories or a social progress which scorned only the conditions by which society can be kept together? The advanced men who inaugurated the reign of terror were to him either fools or fanatics or assassins. He did not object to the meeting of the States-General to examine into the intolerable grievances, and, if necessary, to strip the King of tyrannical powers, for such a thing the English Parliament had done. But it was quite another thing for one branch of the States-General to constitute itself the nation, and usurp the powers and functions of the other two branches, to sweep away, almost in a single night, the constitution of the realm, to take away all the powers of the King, imprison him, mock him, insult him, and execute him, and then cut off the heads of the nobles who supported him, and of all the people who defended him, even women themselves, and convert the whole land into a pandemonium. What contempt must he have had for legislators who killed their king, decimated their nobles, robbed their clergy, swept away all social distinctions, abolished the rights of religion, all symbols, honors, and privileges? all that was ancient, all that was venerable, all that was poetic, even to abbey churches, yea, dug up the very bones of ancient monarchs from the consecrated vaults where they had reposed for centuries, and scattered them to the wind. And then amid the mad saturnalia of sacrilege, 
barbarity and blasphemy to proclaim the reign of liberty fraternity and equality with marat for their leader and danton for their orator and robespierre for their high priest and finally to consummate the infamous farce of reform by openly setting up a wanton woman as the idol of their worship under the name of the goddess of reason but while burke saw only one side of these atrocities he did not close his eyes to the necessity for reforms had he been a frenchman he would strenuously have lifted up his voice to secure them but in a legal and constitutional manner not by violence not by disregarding the principles of justice and morality to secure a desirable end he was one of the few statesmen then living who would not do evil that good might come he was no jesuit there is a class of politicians who would have acted differently and this class in his day was made up of extreme and radical people with infidel sympathies with this class he was no favorite and never can be conservative people judge him by a higher standard they shared at the time in his sympathies and prejudices even in america the excesses of the revolution excited general abhorrence much more so in england and it was these excesses this mode of securing reform not reform itself which excited burke's detestation who can wonder at this those who accept crimes as a necessary outbreak of revolutionary passions adopt a philosophy which would veil the world with a funereal and diabolical gloom reformers must be taught that no reforms achieved by crime are worth the cost nor is it just to brand an illustrious man with indifference to great moral and social movements because he would wait sooner than upturn the very principles on which society is based and here is the great difficulty in estimating the character and labors of burke because he denounced the french revolution some think he was inconsistent with his early principles not at all it was the crimes and excesses of the revolution he denounced not the impulse of the french people to achieve their liberties those crimes and excesses he believed to be inconsistent with an enlightened desire for freedom but freedom itself to its utmost limit and application consistent with law and order he desired is it necessary for mankind to win its greatest boons by going through a sea of anarchies madness assassinations and massacres those who take this view of revolution it seems to me are neither wise nor learned if a king makes war on his subjects they are warranted in taking up arms in their defense even if the civil war is followed by enormities thus the american colonies took up arms against george the third but they did not begin with crimes louis the sixteenth did not take up arms against his subjects nor league against them until they had crippled and imprisoned him he made even great concessions he was willing to make still greater to save his crown but the leaders of the revolution were not content with these not even with the abolition of feudal privileges they wanted to subvert the monarchy itself to abolish the order of nobility to sweep away even the church not the catholic establishment only but the christian religion also with all the institutions which time and poetry had consecrated their new heaven and new earth was not the reign of the saints which the millenarians of cromwell's time prayed for devoutly but a sort of communistic equality where every man could do precisely as he liked take even his neighbor's property and annihilate all distinctions of society all inequities of condition a miserable fanatical dream impossible to realize under any form of government which can be conceived it was this spirit of reckless innovation promulgated by atheists and drawn logically from some principles of the social contract of which rousseau was the author which excited the ire of burke it was license and not liberty 
and while the bloody and irreligious excesses of the revolution called out his detestation the mistakes and incapacity of the new legislators excited his contempt he condemned a compulsory paper currency not a paper currency but a compulsory one and predicted bankruptcy he ridiculed an army without a head not the instrument of the executive but of a military democracy receiving orders from the clubs he made sport of the legislature ruled by the commune and made up not of men of experience but of adventurers stock jobbers directors of assignats trustees for the sale of church lands who took a constitution in hand as savages would a looking-glass a body made up of those courtiers who wished to cut off the head of their king of those priests who voted religion a nuisance of those lawyers who called the laws a dead letter of those philosophers who admitted to no argument but the guillotine of those sentimentalists who chanted the necessity of more blood of butchers and bakers and brewers who would exterminate the very people who bought from them and the result of all this wickedness and folly on the mind of burke was the most eloquent and masterly political treatise probably ever written a treatise in which there may be found much angry rhetoric and some unsound principles but which blazes with genius on every page which coruscates with wit irony and invective scornful and sad doubtless yet full of moral wisdom a perfect thesaurus of political truths i have no words with which to express my admiration for the wisdom and learning and literary excellence of the reflections on the french revolution as a whole so luminous in statement so accurate in the exposure of sophistries so full of inspired intuitions so christian in its tone this celebrated work was enough to make any man immortal it was written and rewritten with the most conscientious care it appeared in seventeen ninety and so great were its merits so striking and yet so profound that thirty thousand copies were sold in a few weeks it was soon translated into all the languages of europe and was in the hands of all thinking men it was hailed with especial admiration by christian and conservative classes though bitterly denounced by many intelligent people as gloomy and hostile to progress but whether liked or disliked it made a great impression and contributed to settle public opinion in reference to french affairs what can be more just and enlightened than such sentiments as these which represent the spirit of the treatise because liberty is to be classed among the blessings of mankind am i to felicitate a madman who has escaped from the restraints of his cell there is no qualification for government but virtue and wisdom woe be to that country that would madly reject the service of talents and virtues nothing is an adequate representation of a state that does not represent its ability as well as property men have a right to justice and the fruits of industry and the acquisitions of their parents and the improvement of their offspring to instruction in life and consolation in death but they have no right to what is unreasonable and what is not for their benefit the new professors are so taken up with rights that they have totally forgotten duties and without opening one new avenue to the understanding they have succeeded in stopping those that lead to the heart those who attempt by outrage and violence to deprive men of any advantage which they hold under the laws proclaim war against society when i ask will such truths become obsolete among enlightened people and when will they become stale but with this fierce protest against the madness and violence of the french revolution the wisdom of burke and of the english nation ended the most experienced and sagacious man of his age with all his wisdom and prescience could see only one side of the awful political hurricane which he was so eloquent in denouncing 
his passions and his prejudices so warped his magnificent intellect that he could not see the good which was mingled with the evil that the doctrine of equality if false when applied to the actual condition of men at their birth is yet a state to which the institutions of society tend under the influence of education and religion that the common brotherhood of man mocked by the tyrants which feudalism produced is yet to be drawn from the sermon on the mount that the blood of a plebeian carpenter is as good as that of an aristocratic captain of artillery that public burdens which bear heavily on the poor should also be shared equally by the rich that all laws should be abolished which institute unequal privileges that taxes should be paid by nobles as well as by peasants that every man should be unfettered in the choice of his calling and profession that there should be unbounded toleration of religious opinions that no one should be arbitrarily arrested and confined without trial and proof of crime that men and women with due regard to the rights of others should be permitted to marry whomsoever they please that in fact a total change in the spirit of government so imperatively needed in france was necessary these were among the great ideas which the reformers advocated but which they did not know how practically to secure on those principles of justice which they abstractly invoked ideas never afterwards lost sight of in all the changes of government and it is remarkable that the flagrant evils which the revolution so ruthlessly swept away have never since been revived and never can be revived any more than the oracles of dodona or the bulls of mediaeval rome mid the storms and the whirlwinds and the fearful convulsions and horrid anarchies and wicked passions of a great catastrophe the imperishable ideas of progress forced their way nor could burke foresee the ultimate results of the revolution any more than he would admit the truths which were overshadowed by errors and crimes nor inflamed with rage and scorn was he wise in the remedies he proposed only god can overrule the wrath of man and cause melodious birth-songs to succeed the agonies of dissolution burke saw the absurdity of sophistical theories and impractical equality liberty running into license and license running into crime he saw pretensions quackeries inexperience folly and cruelty and he prophesied what their legitimate effect would be but he did not see in the revolution the pent-up indignation and despair of centuries nor did he hear the voices of hungry and oppressed millions crying to heaven for vengeance he did not recognize the chastening hand of god on tyrants and sensualists he did not see the arm of retributive justice more fearful than the daggers of roman assassins more stern than the overthrow of persian hosts more impressive than the handwriting on the wall of belshazzar's palace nor could he see how creation would succeed destruction amid the burnings of that vast funeral pyre he foresaw perhaps that anarchy would be followed by military despotism but he never anticipated a napoleon bonaparte or the military greatness of a nation so recently ground down by jacobin orators and sentimental executioners he never dreamed that out of the depths and from the clouds and amid the conflagration there would come a deliverance at least for a time in the person of a detested conqueror who would restore law develop industry secure order and infuse enthusiasm into a country so nearly ruined and make that country glorious beyond precedent until his mad passion for unlimited dominion should arouse insulted nations to form a coalition which even he should not be powerful enough to resist gradually hemming him round in a king hunt until they should at last confine him on a rock in the ocean to meditate and die where burke and the nation he aroused by his eloquence failed in wisdom was in opposing this revolutionary storm with bayonets 
had he and the leaders of his day confined themselves to rhetoric and arguments if ever so exaggerated and irritating had they allowed the french people to develop their revolution in their own way as they had the right to do then the most dreadful war of modern times which lasted twenty years would have been confined within smaller limits napoleon would have had no excuse for aggressive warfare pitt would not have died of a broken heart large standing armies the curse of europe would not have been deemed so necessary the ancient limits of france might have been maintained and a policy of development might have been inaugurated rather than a policy which led to future wars and national humiliation the gigantic struggles of napoleon began when france was attacked by foreign nations fighting for their royalties and feudalties and aiming to suppress a domestic revolution which was none of their concern and which they imperfectly understood but at this point we must stop for i tread on ground where only speculation presumes to stand the time has not come to solve such a mighty problem as the french revolution or even the career of napoleon bonaparte we can pronounce on the logical effects of right and wrong that violence leads to anarchy and anarchy to ruin but we cannot tell what would have been the destiny of france if the revolution had not produced napoleon nor what would have been the destiny of england if napoleon had not been circumvented by the powers of europe on such questions we are children the solution of them is hidden by the screens of destiny we can only speculate and since we short-sighted mortals cannot tell what will be the ultimate effect of the great agitations of society whether begun in noble aspirations or in depraved passions it is enough for us to settle down with firm convictions on what we can see that crimes under whatever name they go are eternally to be reprobated whatever may be the course they are made to take by him who rules the universe it would be difficult to single out any memorable war in this world's history which has not been ultimately overruled for the good of the world whatever its cause or character like the crusades the most unfortunate in their immediate effects of all the great wars which nations have madly waged but this only proves that god is stronger than devils and that he overrules the wrath of man it must needs be that offences come but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh there is only one standard by which to judge the actions of men there is only one rule whereby to guide nations or individuals and that is to do right to act on the principles of immutable justice now whatever were the defects in the character or philosophy of burke it cannot be denied that this was the law which he attempted to obey the rule which he taught to his generation in this light his life and labors command our admiration because he did uphold the right and condemn the wrong and was sufficiently clear-headed to see the sophistries which concealed the right and upheld the wrong that was his peculiar excellence how loftily his majestic name towers above the other statesmen of his troubled age certainly no equal to him in england has since appeared in those things which give permanent fame the man who has most nearly approached him is gladstone if the character of our own webster had been as reproachless as his intellect was luminous and comprehensive he might be named in the same category of illustrious men like the odor of sanctity which was once supposed to emanate from a catholic saint the halo of burke's imperishable glory is shed around every consecrated retreat of that land which thus far has been the bulwark of european liberty the english nation will not let him die he cannot die in the hearts and memories of any man more than can socrates or washington no nation will be long ungrateful for eminent public services even if he who rendered them was stained by grave defects for it is services which make men immortal much more will posterity reverence those benefactors whose private lives were in harmony with their principles 
the Hales, the Lapitels, the Hamptons of the world. To this class, Burke undeniably belonged. All writers agree as to his purity of morals, his generous charities, his high social qualities, his genial nature, his love of simple pleasures, his deep affections, his reverence, his Christian life. He was a man of sorrows, it is true, like most profound and contemplative natures, whose labors are not fully appreciated, like Cicero, Dante, and Michelangelo. He was doomed, too, like Galileo, to severe domestic misfortunes. He was greatly afflicted by the death of his only son, in whom his pride and hopes were bound up. I am like one of those old oaks which the late hurricane has scattered about me, said he. I am torn up by the roots, I lie prostrate on the earth. And when care and disease hastened his departure from a world he adorned, his body was followed to the grave by the most illustrious of the great men of the land, and the whole nation mourned as for a brother or a friend. But it is for his writings and published speeches that he leaves the most enduring fame, and what is most valuable in his writings is his elucidation of fundamental principles in morals and philosophy. And here was his power not his originality, for which he was distinguished in an eminent degree, not learning, which amazed his auditors, not sarcasm, of which he was a master, not wit, with which he brought down the house, not passion, which overwhelmed even such a man as Hastings, not fluency, with every word in the language at his command, not criticism, so searching that no sophistry could escape him, not philosophy, musical as Apollo's lyre, but insight into great principles, the moral force of truth clearly stated and fearlessly defended. This elevated him to a sphere which words and gestures and the rich music and magnetism of voice and action can never reach, since it touched the heart and the reason and the conscience alike, and produced convictions that nothing can stifle. There were more famous and able men than he, in some respects, in Parliament at the time. Fox surpassed him in debate, Pitt, in ready replies and adaptation to the genius of the house, Sheridan in wit, Townsend in parliamentary skill, Mansfield in legal acumen. But no one of these great men was so forcible as Burke in the statement of truths which future statesmen will value. And as he unfolded and applied the imperishable principles of right and wrong, he seemed like an ancient sage bringing down to earth the fire of the divinities he invoked and in which he believed, not to chastise and humiliate, but to guide and inspire. In recapitulating the services by which Edmund Burke will ultimately be judged, I would say that he had a hand in almost every movement for which his generation is applauded. He gave an impulse to almost every political discussion which afterwards resulted in beneficent reform. Some call him a croaker, without sympathy for the ideas on which modern progress is based, but he was really one of the great reformers of his day. He lifted up his voice against slave trade. He encouraged and lauded the labors of Howard. He supported the just claims of the Catholics. He attempted, though a churchman, to remove the restrictions to which dissenters were subjected. He opposed the cruel laws against insolvent debtors. He sought to soften the asperities of the penal code. He labored to abolish the custom of enlisting soldiers for life. He attempted to subvert the dangerous powers exercised by judges in criminal prosecutions for libel. He sought financial reform in various departments of the state. He would have abolished many useless offices in the government. He fearlessly exposed the wrongs of the East India Company. He tried to bring to justice the greatest political criminal of the day. He took the right side of American difficulties and advocated a policy which would have secured for half a century longer the allegiance of the American colonies, and prevented the division of the British Empire. 
he advocated measures which saved england possibly from french subjugation he threw the rays of his genius over all political discussions and he left treatises which from his day to ours have proved a mine of political and moral wisdom for all whose aim or business it has been to study the principles of law or government these truly were services for which any country should be grateful and which should justly place edmund burke on the list of great benefactors these constitute a legacy of which all nations should be proud authorities works and correspondence of edmund burke life and times of edmund burke by mcknight the ablest and fullest yet written and historical study by morley very able lives of burke by crowley prior and Bassett, grenville papers parliamentary history the encyclopedia britannica has a full article on burke massey's history of england chatham's correspondence moore's life of sheridan also the lives of pitt and fox lord brougham's sketch of burke c w dilke's papers of a critic boswell's life of johnson the most brilliant of burke's writings reflections on the french revolution should be read by everybody end of section five